Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Alonzo Paul from Ravi Zacharias International Ministries shares a message called A Living Hope in the Midst of a Dying World. And now, here's Alonzo. Wouldn't it just be awesome just to continue that for like another hour or something like that? Y'all can just bypass me and we can just listen more of them. Can we give them a round of applause for how incredible that was? They were absolutely spectacular uh, this weekend and so many young people uh, were so engaged in a time of worship and it's so encouraging to see all of those sorts of things occurring. And can we give it also up for... Pastor Louie and the whole team that did a phenomenal job this weekend, putting on this amazing weekend for our young people. Awesome. Don has been very good, very faithful to us this weekend, and we've had some incredible time out there. I could speak on that for hours alone, but I have a really special message for you guys. So let me just introduce myself a little bit. My name is Alonzo. My friends call me Zoe, so you can call me Zoe as well. And uh, I'm from Calgary, Alberta, born and raised. Is anybody here from Alberta? The one guy in the back. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Ted, man. Good old faithful Ted. Um, yeah, so I'm born and raised in Calgary. And then after Calgary, my wife and I, uh, we went over to Oxford, England. And uh, in Oxford, England, that's where I got to study uh, at the University of Oxford. We got to study this thing called theology. And theology is a big fancy word because in Oxford, you have big fancy words. For things that they make it just more complicated than it has to be. And so uh, it's the study of God. So we got to study God there. And uh, my wife and I were just so blessed because for someone like me, I should not have gotten that sort of opportunity. Uh, I wasn't born and raised in a Christian home. I was a casual Catholic at the very, very best. And that would be charitable to say. Uh, we kind of went to church on on Christmas and Easter, but it was more fire insurance than anything. You know what I mean? Like just in case there was a God, we put in a little bit of time so we'd be less angry on Judgment Day. You know, like that sort of thing. And so that's what we did. But I had no idea who Jesus was really or what the cross meant and, and things like that. And, and so I didn't have this sort of upbringing that your young people get blessed with. So it is so encouraging because for me, uh, my parents divorced when I was 12 and that wrecked our family. It shattered our family and, and all of us went through a really difficult time. My mom, she tried to find herself at the bottom of a bottle, what she calls her dark years. And my dad moved to a neighboring city and quickly remarried. And then I, to try and find equilibrium again, to try and cope with everything, my world just shattering, I started using drugs at the age of 12. Drinking, smoking cigarettes, smoking pot, and those sorts of things. And then that just progressively got worse into a full-blown opiate addiction, uh, where I nearly OD'd a number of times, uh, and all sorts of bad things had, had happened. And so it was at the age of 21 years old that I got invited to church. And I got invited to this really cool church. It was in a cineplex. And uh, it was just this fiery Canadian-Italian guy named Anthony Greco that just loved Jesus and explained who he was. And that changed my life. And we're hoping and praying that your young people likewise heard about Jesus this weekend and it changed their life. It began that journey. 
And so all of that is to say we had an incredible, incredible time. And you should be so, so proud of your team here. They put on a magnificent, magnificent conference for these young people. So I'm going to talk to us this morning about something that is particularly interesting to me and particularly helpful for me and for other people that I've spoken to. I just gave a very similar message uh, at the University of British Columbia um, on this topic of hope. And hope is really an interesting thing. And what Rabbi Zacharias Ministry does, that's the ministry that I'm a part of. And perhaps you may have heard of my boss. Um, he's, he loves Canada so, so much. He actually immigrated here from India and has just has this huge heart for Canada and Canadians. And what we do is we go into places where people don't believe in God. And they're really skeptical. And sometimes they're even really hostile towards God. And those are the people that God has this reckless love for. And so we go in and we engage with all of their toughest questions, like we did this weekend with your young people. And it is incredible to see what God is doing on campuses of universities all around the world, but Canada specifically. I'm so excited and I'm so encouraged to be able to tell you that every time we go to a Canadian university, whether it's we've been to um, in the past six months, we've been to the University of Saskatchewan, we've been to McGill University in Montreal, University of Toronto, University of British Columbia, UBC. And every single time we are seeing people come to know Jesus for themselves. It is incredible to see. We might see rampant secularism, you know, people that don't believe in God uh, on the stepping forward and making progress amongst our pluralistic nation. But you know what? God is not scared by that sort of thing. God is very cool with going and meeting where people are at and engaging with them. And he's not frightened by the really difficult questions because you know what? God has some really good answers. You know what I'm saying? So we, we, we engage with people in that way. Enough of a digression. I could speak on that for a long, long time, but I want to respect your time and I want to tell you about hope. And, and if you're taking notes, the title of this message today is A Living Hope in the Midst of a Dying World. A Living Hope in the Midst of a Dying World. The need and the longing for hope. The need and the longing for hope is something that is felt in every single generation, every single generation, it is a, an essential component of your life and mine. And an equally significant question for you to think about, and I challenge you to think about this seriously, is what do you put your ultimate hope in? It's interesting to me when you start reading about this stuff about hope, how the literature tells us how wired we are for hope. We are wired, we are hope-wired creatures. We articulate it in our everyday conversations, especially in our divided country. We say it in all sorts of different ways. We hope for a brighter future. We hope for the silver lining in the clouds. We hope or we say to other people that are going through really difficult things, we comfort them by saying, don't lose hope or don't give up hope. It's in all of our 
everyday conversations. And even in pop culture, if you watch the movie Star Wars, which I'm a big fan of, in, uh, in one, of the mo- one of the most recent movies, um, Rogue One, they say rebellions are built on hope. It's everywhere in our culture. Everyone is talking about this hope. And we have these really noble hopes in our culture. We hope to uh, contribute positively to the lives of other people and to build a better society and all of these sorts of noble things. But we also have really profound personal hopes that we think about all the time. We hope for happiness. I don't know if you've ever hoped for something like that. We hope that our lives will matter. We hope for true love. We hope for restored hearts that have been broken and restored broken relationships. We hope for forgiveness when we've screwed things up. And we hope for truth. We have all sorts of hope. And how heavy life can be when we feel hopeless. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Our brother was talking about that just from the stage. He remembers that heavy feeling of feeling hopeless. And you don't have to be particularly sharp to notice that around our world, so many people are feeling hopeless because of the amount of troubles that we see in our planet. But I want to suggest to you guys this morning that there is, this, there is a real problem of hopelessness amidst a dying world in a world or in a universe that is without God. They call that a naturalistic universe. If it is a naturalistic universe, a universe without God, then there is a serious problem of hopelessness. And it is serious and it is inevitable. Hopelessness is inevitable if there is no God. There was, um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of uh, the book entitled Man's Search for Meeting by Dr. Viktor Frankl. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of Dr. Viktor Frankl. Ted, again, the one guy in the back, and Bruce. Uh, <laughs> um, this was a landmark piece of work in psychiatry. Uh, Dr. Frankl was a, a neurologist, a psychiatrist. He was of Jewish ancestry and of Jewish faith. And during the Second World War, because he was a Jew, became a prisoner in the Nazi death camp Auschwitz. And in Auschwitz, um, miraculously, he survives this thing in order to write the book. I guess that's pretty obvious. He he didn't write it in the camp. (laughs) That would be miraculous, though. Um, But he he writes his account of being in these death camps. He is actually in a total of four different camps. Uh, during his time as a prisoner. And what, what he records is fascinating. So contrary to popular belief, contrary to popular belief, many of the prisoners did not throw away their faith in God in the midst of this horror. By contrast, they actually got deeper into their faith and leaned more into God amidst this pain and suffering than they had ever done before. And it is interesting as well, Dr. Viktor Frankl, he records how the feeling of hopelessness again and again has a significant toll 
on our mental health as well as our physical health. So there was many people that put all of their hope and all of their meaning into their materialistic possessions. Does that make sense? And then when they got all of their possessions taken away from them and destroyed, their hope was destroyed with it. Does that make sense? He would record time and time again how people, when their things were snatched away from them that they put their hopes in, would literally curl in a corner and just die. There was another really interesting account that he, that he talks about in detail. And it was of a man who had a dream and he interpreted this dream as a premonition. And it was that the war would end on the 28th of March. And so this guy put his ultimate hope in the war ending on March 28th. So as the day approaches, the war actually does not stop, but it actually grows more fierce. And on March 28th, he grows extraordinarily ill. By March 29th, he becomes intensely feverish. On March 30th, he falls unconscious. And by March 31st, he dies. What Viktor Frankl records is absolutely chilling. He records that since this, this man's hope literally died with him. It literally died on the 28th of March when it did not come to pass. And it so affected the man's immune system that he could no longer fight off the bacteria and disease that was found in the camp. He literally died of hopelessness. His body was no longer able to sustain itself. And if you ever have spoken with somebody or a friend, a family member, or whatever the case may be, if they have had someone in their life that has taken their own life. I have one in my own family. Her name was Sarah. We used to bond really well together. We bonded over smoking cigarettes back in the day. This is Zoe B.C., before Jesus. And uh, <laughs> this wasn't like last week. I uh, just want to make that abundantly clear. And... Um, so we bonded really well together and, and she had taken her life. And when I was speaking with her sister, and I will never forget when our family got that phone call that my cousin had taken her own life. And I remember walking with uh, her sister. Her sister's name is Cassie. And I was talking to Cassie and I'm like, Cassie, you knew her better than anyone. What was going on with Sarah? What happened with Sarah? And she said to me, Zoe, Sarah was just overwhelmed. She was caught like in a swamp of hopelessness. She had nothing to live for. She had no sense of anything in the future changing for the better. She was completely hopeless, Alonzo. And I just want to make this thing very clear. If you are somebody that feels that way, or if you know somebody that feels that way, there is hope. And you matter to God. And you matter to a whole bunch of other people too. And I don't believe for a second that there isn't a hope out there for you specifically. And so I encourage you to keep listening if that's you. We're so wired for hope. 
And losing hope has this serious effect on us mentally and physically. And we know this, they call it empirically verifiable. There's data that proves this, like Frankel's work. But here's the problem. In a universe without a God, in an atheistic universe, here's the problem. And I challenge you to seriously think about this. Ultimately, if there is no God, then we're all inevitably doomed to a despair and hopelessness. This isn't me putting these words. These aren't just purely my words. This isn't purely my thinking, my rationale. These come from the mouth of atheists themselves. Probably one of the most influential atheists of the 20th century was a gentleman from England. His name was Bertrand Russell. He was a philosopher. He actually debated uh, C.S. Lewis at one time. I don't know, maybe some of you guys know C.S. Lewis from Chronicles of Narnia. And he debated him, and, and, uh, and many people think he did very well. But here's what he says. One of the most influential atheists around in the 20th century, he says this. Humanity's origin, growth, hopes, and fears, loves and beliefs are but the outcome of the accidental collocation of atoms, the arrangement of atoms, that no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual's life beyond the grave, that all the labors of the ages all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of our solar system. And that the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. Only within the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair, can the soul's habitation henceforth be safely built? And there was another psychologist and popular author, extraordinarily popular right now from England as well. Her name is Susan Blackmore. When she's asked and interviewed about the tragedies that we're seeing around the world, all the pain and suffering, all this sense of hopelessness and trouble and despair, when she's asked about this, she says in an interview, and I quote, my response is nothing matters. It's all empty and meaningless. This is just how the world is. Get used to it. End quote. Here's what they're saying. That at bottom, if there is no God, then whatever humanity puts their hope in, better education, better psychology, better technology, better politics, better environmental sustainability, and so on. All of it is ultimately meaningless and cannot be sources of ultimate hope. This is them that are saying this. They cannot be sources of ultimate hope. You know why? Because who cares? In 10 trillion years, when our universe is completely frozen over, who cares if you are living a life of a Mother Teresa or an Osama Bin Laden? Or who cares if you're picking up garbage or recycling? Ultimately, it will matter. It won't matter at all. In an atheistic universe, whatever our hopes are and whatever our achievements are, inevitably they'll be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. 
And all of our endeavors are being built on the firm foundation of unyielding despair. Great societies, advanced technology, all that stuff is very good. And I wouldn't say for a second that we should stop doing those things. I think God wants us to do those things because he's put us in charge of our planet to be good and responsible stewards of it. But ultimately, in a universe without God, it means nothing because, listen very closely here, because death will conquer it all. If not human beings individually, the universe entirely. This is the logical, rational conclusion of thinking about atheism all the way to the end. Does that make sense? This is the message of a dying world in need of hope. Of a real hope. Of a transcending hope. Of a living hope. Of a formidable hope. And the gospel of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, God in a bod, so to speak, the message of Jesus Christ in the gospel is that we have such a hope. The New Testament, the Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be God, sorry, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is the li- that, that would be a good place to say amen if you want to feel, if you feel like saying amen. Christians describe our hope as a living hope. And the bedrock of our hope is the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who was crucified for his claims to be God in the flesh, who came to reveal God's true nature, one of humility and self-sacrificing love, who came to identify and show solidarity with our human suffering and pain and to give up his life out of love for all of the sin and yuck of this world. So that our brokenness, our sin would be redeemed by his wholeness and his love. And the resurrection of Jesus, if true, means that death will not conquer ultimately us or the universe, but rather that He has conquered death. The same way that Jesus Christ, maybe you've never thought about this before, but this is the Christian hope. In the same way that Jesus died in a state of being a victim of injustice. In the same way that Jesus Christ died in the state of of a victim of evil, of hate, of shame, of all of these things on the cross, but was raised to new life three days later, so too the world will be raised to new life and love by the power of God for all those who put their ultimate hope In Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about it that way? That Jesus Christ is almost like an archetype. The first fruits of what God will ultimately do with all of creation. It it is sown in, 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 in finite flesh, but is raised in glory. And in the same way, 
pain. Our world that's being destroyed by sin and, and the devil and so on will be raised in a glorious, what the Bible calls, new creation. And that is an extraordinarily unique hope to the Christian worldview. And it is something that not only we look forward to in the future, but is a present hope right now, especially those who have been victimized by injustice, that have been victims of shame, of evil, of hate, and so on. That is the hope of Jesus Christ and the cross and His resurrection. And for God so loved the world that He gave us this hope. For God so loved the world that He gave us these sorts of resources. For God so loved the world that He gave us His only Son, Jesus. Whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life with God. Now, if Jesus is our living hope, If Jesus is our living hope, we have to have confidence in it. And you can talk to your young people because we gave them all sorts of reasons why they can be confident in their faith. So if you're puzzled, you'll have to talk to them. I won't give you the answers right now. But what I will say is this, that scholarship has gone tremendous leaps and bounds in proving the resurrection of Jesus. And many many scholars at the very height of the academy are absolutely convinced and take their faith very seriously because they are convinced that Jesus did, in fact, rise from the dead. I'll I'll give you one guy. His name is N.T. Wright. He's from Oxford University. He says this. I've examined all the alternative explanations for the resurrection, the ancient and the modern, for the rise of the early church. And I have to say that the best historical explanation is that Jesus Christ really was raised to life. And another scholar says that if you remove the resurrection from history, then you have a resurrection size hole in it. And what does that mean for you and for me? An archbishop, he summarized it well. God on the cross is the great point at which the suffering and sorrow, torture and trial, sin and yuck ends up on the shoulders of God out of love for us. Let me just close with a story. This is a story that I shared with your young people. And it's about a guy named Naweed. And Naweed was a a Muslim guy. We have this big art display in our office back in Toronto. And this art display is of Indian women. And these Indian women were victims of horrendous crimes. What was happening to them is, in certain cultures... They would pay a dowry. The, the, the bride family would pay a dowry to the, the husband's family. My wife is actually Punjabi, and she, she helped me to get my head around this sort of thing. In my culture, my, my family's from Guyana. We don't do that sort of thing. But she was teaching me about this. And if the bride's family cannot pay the right amount of money, then there are, sometimes nothing happens. The, the marriage just won't happen. But other times there are serious consequences. And some of these families get so irate and so angry with the bride's family. What they will do is they'll take it out on the bride. So they'll take some sort of hot liquid and thrust it and and hurl it upon them and it will disfigure them from the top down. Or they'll take kerosene and throw it on the, the bride, light a match and let her burn. And so many of these women, they walk away from those instances understandably marred and disfigured beyond recognition. 
And so what Rabbi Zacharias did was we partnered with some people down there because we have a humanitarian arm called Wellspring and went down there and to help out this hospital that was helping with the reconstructive surgery that these women required. And as they were doing that, they were telling them about Jesus. And as they were telling them about Jesus, they said the unique doctrines that are in the Christian faith, like you are made in the image of God. That no matter how disfigured you might appear on the outside, you are valuable and you matter and you're loved by God. You are beautiful in God's eyes, no matter who tried to wreck that. And there was an artist that started painting pictures that partnered with us. And he called the exhibition beautiful. And he painted these women. And here's the thing. To show that these women had this intrinsic worth because they were made in the image of God, saved by his grace on the cross. Before the artist put any paint on the canvas, he put a layer of gold on. A gold foil. That no matter how the outside appears, it does not affect value of who you are in the sight of God, the opinion that truly matters in our universe. And even if that paint chips away, that paint will only reveal the gold that's on the inside of them. And I got to bring Naweed into this display and show him around. And Naweed, again, he was a Muslim guy, really nice gentleman. And I'm showing him around and eventually we end the tour with this humble photo in the corner. And this photo in the corner has a group of women together. And all of them have scars from head to toe. And they're laughing and together. And Naweed says to me, Alonzo, do these women live together? I said, that's a fascinating question, man. I, I have no idea if they live in a community together. But let me ask you, why are you, why are you curious? He says, Alonzo, and I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, Alonzo, I suspect they do. Because it is only those with scars that can possibly understand the scars of others. I said, now we, we serve a God who is scarred. And he understands our scars. He understands your scars. He understands it to the infinite degree. And isn't that what we want in our suffering and in our pain? Somebody to really understand us? My brother passed away last year from cancer. It was awful. He was only 36. And there was lots of wonderful people, well-meaning people, that tried to say, you know what, it's going to be okay. But you know what? They had no idea what I was going through. No idea. Some did. They had also lost people from cancer. But it's only those with scars that understands the scars of others. Jesus Christ died on the cross. God the Father knows what it's like to lose a child. God the Father knows what it's like to lose somebody that He loves. God knew my scars. The scarred God knows my scars. He knows your scars. He understands your scars and wants to heal you and give you hope in the midst of all of your scars. And as somebody that has walked through suffering in a very difficult way. I stand unashamed to tell you that Jesus Christ can and is willing to help you through whatever you're getting through. And He can give you this living hope 
that no other worldview gives you. Atheism does not give you hope. It's bankrupt when it comes to hope. But Jesus Christ has an abundance of hope. A living hope that can endure all sorts of horrendous situations. And His love for you is reckless, like we said. And He wants you to know that hope personally. I was saved at 21 in a movie theater when someone told me about Jesus and this hope. And so what I want to do for you is I want to take a moment to pray with you. Because perhaps there's somebody here that doesn't know Jesus personally, and I would be remiss if I didn't give them the opportunity to put their ultimate hope in Jesus. And that ultimate hope in Jesus radically changed my life. I should have been in some gutter somewhere. But now I'm in Timmins. That's a good deal. That's a good deal. Can you, can we, uh, can we do the prayer? Can you close your eyes, bow your heads, and that's really just to respect the people around us. You know, this is a safe place. If you're among friends, you're among, among people that love you, and we just want to close our eyes just out of respect, because now people are going to have a moment with God. If you're somebody that says, you know, I've put my hope in other things, my ultimate hope in other things, I have not taken Jesus seriously. I have not taken his promises seriously. I don't know God personally, but I want to know him. I want to know this love that people keep talking about. I want to know this meaning in life and purpose in life that people keep talking about when they talk about Jesus. I want this forgiveness that Jesus offers. I have so much baggage. I have so much hurt. I have so much pain. Not only have I hurt people, but people have hurt me. And I just need to get this off of my chest. I need to free my heart from everything that is going on in there. I need a clean slate. And I need God's forgiveness. And I need God's healing. If that's you, I want to encourage you. You're not alone. I felt that same way. So many of us have. And it was when I prayed this prayer that we're about to pray that I was able to free my heart because God freed my heart. And God put a love in me and a hope in me and a meaning in me and a purpose of my life that changed my life forever. And I want to extend that to you. If that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm going to make this really easy. I'm going to ask you on the count of three to just very quickly put up your hand and put it down again. No one's looking around. This is between you and God. If that's you, I'm going to count to three. Raise your hand and then put it back down again. One, two, three. God bless you. 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 Now, maybe you're one of those people, and there are lots of people like that, that you're a bit nervous and a bit shy, and you feel like you may have just missed your opportunity. I want to give you one more chance. God always has chances for you, but don't. Don't go through this moment without missing your opportunity to connect with God. 
One, two, three. God bless you. Awesome. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I just want you to follow along in your heart. And if you mean it, if you mean it, God will answer it. And God will honor this prayer. And this will be the beginning of your life changing forever. And if you mean it, man, you're in for a whole new life. So you can say this in your heart. Father God, I have so much going on in my life. I have so much going on in my heart. I have so many bad memories. I have so many regrets. I recognize, yeah, people have hurt me and I need your healing. But you know what? I've also hurt other people. And God, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry for all the bad things that I've done. And I am so grateful that your son paid my debt on the cross. And I'm so thankful that he rose three days later to show that I have a living hope, a hope that even death cannot overcome. And I want to know your love. I want my life to have meaning. I want to know my purpose. Why was I put here? And so I invite you into my life and I submit myself to your rule, King Jesus, as my God and as my Savior, as my rescuer. Because I cannot do this on my own. Show me how much you love me. Make this real to me. Bring Christians into my life that can show me how to do this. I submit my life to you. In Jesus' name, Amen. If that was you that prayed that for the first time, you are what the Bible calls a Christian, which means a follower of Jesus, a mini-Jesus walking around. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time, the silliest thing that you could do is not tell anyone. I still talk to the guy that I first told. He used to pick me up, even though I was a mess, from drugs and all sorts of things. And I didn't have my act together for a long time. But he showed me how to walk a life in accordance to the way that Jesus wants you to walk. And he convinced me day after day, week after week, of how much Jesus loved me. And so, tell someone if you prayed that prayer. Tell someone if you prayed that prayer. I just had dinner with him a few days ago. And we still, ten years later, are still such good friends. Thank you so much for giving me a hearing. I really do appreciate it. And uh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you are in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.